Hi, my name is Shoshana Marone. I'm a writer and an illustrator. Since it's the holidays, I've kicked Sejalola out of her virtual cafe. How hard can it be to run a virtual cafe anyway? While we're waiting for customers to come in, I'd like to read to you Chapter 10 from my book, Avoiding Sex with Frenchmen. It kind of goes without saying, but um, there is some content today that wouldn't be suitable for children. So if you are listening with children, I would advise you just pause it and listen later. The story takes place in Paris in 1993 when I was 19. The book is illustrated, so you're going to miss out on a little bit of content with the podcast, but I think you'll understand the gist of what it's about. Chapter 10, The Sexual Repressions of a 70s Child, or Why I've Never Had Anything French in My Vagina. So why didn't any of us ever have sex with a Frenchman? Spoiler alert, damn. I should have saved that one for the end. I should have been like, will Shoshana give birth to a French love child? Find out next time. The offers for sexual intercourse in Paris just kept pouring in. By the third day there, we were keeping a tally. We were lingering at Champs-Élysées, and some confident young guy sauntered up to and said some romantic nonsense. Before Genia even let him down, she turned to me and said, That's 27. Wait, you're counting now? Yeah, I've been thinking about it. I'm pretty sure that's 27. And so it went. We were American girls, and we were very young, and they were men. French men. American boys would never ask to have sex with us at least not directly. An American boy might say, you're beautiful, or maybe you have a nice ass, or possibly, those ivory tower communists need to get down here and kick it with the people, you know? And then you knew he wanted to have sex with you. France was clearly a different country. For some reason, Frenchmen were just very intent on closing the deal, like, right away. This was jarring at first to us genteel American girls. And it wasn't just that. It was just everything. There's this American movie called The Breakfast Club. In The Breakfast Club, five American teenagers from different social circles are forced to endure a Saturday detention with one another. At one point, the Judd Nelson character, so hot, is hassling the Molly Ringwald character, asking her if she's ever done it. He says, I'm paraphrasing from memory here, it's a double-edged sword. If you say you have done it, you're a slut, and if you say you haven't done it, then you're a tease. Everyone starts yelling at Molly Ringwald to answer his question. Have you done it? Have you done it? Just answer the question, Claire. Answer the question. Answer the question. And then she finally starts screaming, No! I haven't done it, okay? I never did it! Or something like that. That was how it was in the late 80s in high school in America. But I left and went to my last year of high school in Sweden. And I always thought that if The Breakfast Club were a Swedish teen movie, Den Frukostekluben, it would have gone like this. Entire have you done it conversation deleted. Nobody would care. Extensive sex scene between Judd Nelson and Molly Ringwald doing it. Full on nudity with lots of giggling in the broom closet. Students ride bicycles home afterwards. In real life, Molly Ringwald would later move to France. After several months in Sweden, I realized that Swedish teens had about the same amount of sex as American teens. It's just that Swedish teens had no shame about it. 
I had been warned before going to Sweden. Watch out, sex is like a handshake to them in Sweden, which was not true at all. Sex is like a normal part of human development in Sweden. Mothers say things about their children like, can you believe Christine is already having boys spend the night? They grow up so fast. I, however, never had sex in Sweden because nobody liked me there. I figured it must have been because I was hideously ugly and generally deformed in a non-specific way. Looking at pictures of me from the time, you can see that it's true. And there is in the book a picture of me at the time. I'm the redhead. Yes, I know it's a black and white photo, but you just know who the redhead is, don't you? It's like knowing Ralph Fiennes' eyes were blue in Schindler's List. It was a black and white film, but you remember his eyes and color, don't you? Also, in Sweden, they had this movie they showed in school that said to never have sex with foreigners because we all had AIDS. It was much ridiculed among the students, but nevertheless adhered to strictly. AIDS had not yet come to Sweden in 1991, and they were intent on keeping it that way. And there I was from the San Francisco Bay Area, den of vice, where we practically invented AIDS. Of course, all of the foreigners in the Swedish sexual instruction video were French. <laughs> Those Swedish sex educators knew something I didn't, that French men were horn dogs who loved foreigners. So, assuming as I did, that I was hideously ugly, it was especially surprising and a little bit scary to have so many men interested in me in Paris. Genia and I started discussing what it might be that was attracting all of these men to us. Ludmilla just kind of stood by and listened, not offering much. She didn't talk much in general. This is the first time we ever talked about attracting men. Ever. One of the things I really liked about Jenya and about Ludmilla is that they never talked about hair, cosmetics, sex, whom they thought was attractive, what clothes they wore, or really anything like that. They didn't listen to love songs. They didn't read romance novels. They didn't care. Ludmilla read sci-fi and listened to movie soundtracks, but only instrumental movie soundtracks. When asked about music, she would go on at length about how annoying it was that they were actually putting songs into movies now. Songs with words, and it was harder and harder to find a good instrumental track. Genya listened to Nine Inch Nails and read the same book, Mommy Dearest, over and over again every weekend. Also, she deeply enjoyed the writings of the Marquis de Sade, which made it especially exciting for her to come to Paris. I'm not even going to try and explain that. The point is, they were not romantic girly girls. Although, I should mention that Genya, about ten minutes before we left San Francisco, had suddenly lost her awkward teenage persona and become really attractive and mysterious-looking. She had this interesting combination of olive skin and red hair. By some strange coincidence, we all three of us had red hair. I was a strawberry blonde, Ludmilla had reddish-brown hair, and Genya's hair was a deep auburn. She wore her black heart on her sleeve, which I think made her all the more attractive. Or at least that was what I would have thought. But according to the Frenchman, no. She was the least pursued. The number of sexual propositions went like this. Number one, Ludmilla got the most attention. Number two, I got the second most attention. Number three, Genya got the least attention. 
which was still a huge amount of attention. So we set about trying to figure out what it was about us that was attracting these men. Looking around us, it didn't look like the women of Paris were constantly harassed. What's different about us, I asked. Whatever it is, Ludmilla has it in spades, says Shenya. Sitting on the train, Ludmilla blushed and still had that slight smile on her face. We were on our way to the Musée de Rodin because Rodin was one of my favorite artists of all time. We exited the subway car and started up the escalator. Look at the women while we go up. What's different about them? Beside us was a full escalator going down as we ascended. I openly stared at all of the women. I didn't comment until street level. They don't smile, said Shenya. They all wear black, I said. They look mean, said Ludmilla. I think it's the smiling, said Shenya. Ludmilla smiles the most. I think that's it. I think you're right. Let's practice not smiling. Have you ever stood on a busy street in Paris on a rainy spring day with your two best friends on a grand adventure and tried not to smile? Yeah, so it didn't work. Ludmilla was especially comical because she thought it was not smiling when she actually still was. The security at the Musée de Rodin took my umbrella but not my Swedish hunting knife, which would prove to be the norm throughout the week. They always returned the umbrella when you left. There must be something I'm really missing about what umbrellas do. Rodin's work was strangely disappointing in person. It was commonplace. The thinker was there forever thinking. It was too solid. I wanted something gravity-defying, but there it was, grounded to the earth, when I wanted to fly away. We ate dinner at some cheap American burger place where you could get a disgusting burger called Le Big. A man was drinking a beer and smoking at the table next to us. Pigeons were eating fries off the sidewalk. Ludmilla ate Shenya's fries. They were truly disgusting fries. Mostly it was the ketchup. The ketchup in France is not ketchup, just not. We walked over to the sun and looked at all of the bridges crossing over it. The air was misty. It was beautiful in the way that only Paris is beautiful. But the men would not leave us alone. Such a beautiful day, such a beautiful river. Perhaps you would like to make love here. No. We walked away quickly with nowhere to go. Maybe if we go down to that walkway down by the river, that might be nice. So we went down, and by the river were droves of couples kissing, petting, making out in ways that Judd Nelson and the Breakfast Club never dreamed of. Also, three guys, number 36, 37, and 38, had followed Ludmilla down to the riverbank with us. Jesus, what is wrong with these people, said Shenya. You can't go anywhere without seeing it or being asked to do it. Let's go back up, I said. It was better up there. Let's just walk a little ways. Maybe it won't be as bad a little ways up. It was totally as bad a little ways up. We went to a park and started watching some young guys putting on a play. They seemed to be having a dress rehearsal. It was a comedy. We were laughing, and then they just stopped the play and asked if we wanted to go back and party with them. But we didn't want to go back and party somewhere with them. We just wanted to watch the, their little play. We went over to a bench and bemoaned that we could not just watch their play. There was a man with a baby in a baby stroller nearby. 
Shenyat started talking with him, and I had a bad feeling about it. She was saying what a cute baby he had, and pretty soon he was asking her to sleep with him at nap time. We got up and left. I thought it was safe. He had a baby, she said. I know, I know, I said. Ludmilla walked a little ways behind us and joined the milieu. On the way home to our hotel that evening, there was one truly nice man. We met this man, a black man who spoke perfect English, who told us all about his family heritage. He was kind in a way we had taken for granted in America. You might think, looking at me, that I am a new immigrant to this country, but my family goes back eight generations here. And he told us about islands and uprisings and marriages and all sorts of wonders of another world totally different from ours. He gave us some advice about places to see in Paris. It was a long and pleasant ride on the train. All of this, he said in English, he was lovely. What brings you to France? asked the kind man. Frankly, said Ludmilla, I'd rather be in Germany. And that concludes chapter 10 of Avoiding Sex with Frenchmen. Thanks everyone for stopping by the virtual cafe. I hope you enjoyed listening to chapter 10 of my book. If you would like to read the rest of the story, you can get a copy of Avoiding Sex with Frenchmen at Amazon.com. Also, please visit my website at shoshana.space. That's S-H-O-S-H-A-N-A-H dot space. And I'll see you next year. You know, because, like, next week is next year. Bye-bye. <laughs>